Welcome to Dig Beneath Design, a podcast where design professionals share how they communicate their work. I'm Sanaya Norton, landscape architect, and after 20 years of practice, I've seen how communication can make or break a project, no matter how great the idea. So I'm going out into the industry to uncover the best design communication strategies and tips to help us be more effective, more articulate designers and get more great ideas off the ground. Tiffany Beamer is a self-confessed introvert, more of a lover than a fighter. And at age 30, she was the youngest partner ever made at Olin and now leads their Los Angeles studio. She learnt how to stand her ground firmly but politely and put her case calmly, gaining authority and respect. Find out how she navigates boardrooms and construction sites as a young landscape architect and how her harshest design critic shaped her approach to communication. We're in LA, halfway between Hollywood and downtown. The studio's in a lone high-rise building, desks against the window for good natural light, It's colourful and cheerful. There's drawings everywhere. Tiffany's working up some sketch sections on butter paper and someone's wrestling with a set of AO construction drawings bigger than the desk. I feel right at home. Let's get down to the good dirt on Dig Beneath Design. Welcome to Dig Beneath Design, Tiffany. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Tell me a bit about your role and, and what you do. Well, I am a landscape architect at Olin. I'm a partner at Olin, um, and I run our Los Angeles office. We do a broad range of work, everything from a handful of residential projects to larger scale planning projects and everything in between. One of the things that's really cool about Olin right now is that it's it's women owned. So, you know, this was an office that began with Lori Olin and Bob Hanna, and we're very, very proud of our legacy, but the ownership has turned such that we're women business enterprise. But in addition to Lori, there's Dennis McGlade and Susan Weiler and Cindy Sanders, who were his very first partners. And they have lived it really just as much as he has. The place means, you know, means a lot to a lot of a lot of folks. What I'm really interested in is ideas about how you as an office and as an individual, mm-hmm. communicate your ideas? Well, that, that has evolved and it's, it continues to evolve. When I first joined the office a little more than a decade ago, the majority of direct interaction with clients, especially in a presentation mode or a big meeting, came from the partner level with uh, design staff and support staff um, in the room, but not often with a speaking role. And we've realized that we have a great deal of brilliant people, really smart, energetic people on our staff at every single level. (laughs) And that having a mix of people participate in those presentations and the conversations, people that are actually doing the work or the physical drawings, if they're so much more qualified to talk exactly about that thing that they've made. So we've started to broaden the, the way that we present a team to a client, even in project interviews. So where it was once very, very top down, you know, the most senior person on the team doing that work, we're finding a great deal of success 
and engagement, more engagement from our staff. Yeah. And they're in the room, right? So the senior folks are in the room. You're not going to send someone who's brand new out on their own. So there's support. And it, I, I think it also gives a message to our clients and our collaborators that everyone that will come to your office from Olin to a meeting or take a phone call or whatever is worthy of your time and is worth listening to. And so we, we work very hard to elevate the the position of all of our people in the minds of our clients. What do you want people to put across? Is there a way of presenting, way of being with your clients that that is a larger representation of Olin? We're genuinely a really friendly group of people and so we as a group of nine design partners with design directors, the people that we have at our kind of highest levels in the office, we're all very different human beings but we're, we're really nice people and we have found that something that resonates with almost everybody a lot of our clients it can be disarming for those that are sort of difficult and and comforting for those that aren't and then once you get to the individual partner the personalities come through and that's something that we have worked hard to kind of cultivate not to have it be this uniform experience because we're all really different people oh i really like that yeah so for me i would rather have a conversation like this a million times over than give a presentation in front of 200 people in a community meeting. I, of course, have to do those other kinds of presentations. It's a big part of the work that I do, but I do so much better, or I feel so much more comfortable, and therefore I think that I do better in a, in a small group setting um, and tend to just kind of just wear my heart on my sleeve and be as as open and friendly as possible. How do you manage your nerves? How do you get in the zone? Okay, I do get nervous. It's not nearly as bad as it used to be. I still, I have to practice in a mirror and go through, go through the, the points that I know I wanna make. If I can repeat them to myself a handful of times, you know, in the car on the way there or on the airplane on the way there or whatever it might be. Um, usually some version of that will come through when it's, when it's time and when it's important. I, I write everything down. I don't ever read from a script in those situations, but the preparation for me is a constant physical visualization of what I want to say or make sure that I get across. And it has served me really well, that kind of practice and it was something that I had to do when I was in school. Oh yeah. When uh, this notion of giving you know, design presentation to a jury was brand new. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. So when you say school, you mean your college, right? I do, your, I do, I yeah. do, yeah. So I, I went to the University of Illinois for my undergraduate work and uh, got my master's degree at the design school at Harvard. So two landscape degrees um, back to back, right in a row. You know, there's maybe two, maybe three juried presentations in a semester and um, people come in from all different places, they're practitioners or academics from other schools or, or the, you know, the most important person at the, at the department that you're in who comes to sit and listen. It's very intimidating. I, I realize now, in hindsight, of course, it makes sense to start to introduce this notion of having to present your work in a short period of time, help someone understand a concept that hasn't been at your desk three times a week, you know, but I, I don't remember that structure being introduced as a 
preparation for the profession. It was just a really scary thing that I kind of, you know, got through. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know so many of my colleagues now remember their experiences yeah. from, from university and they remember specific comments that oh, yeah. were made to them. Do you? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. I do. I remember being at my desk. This was my um, when I was at, uh, at Harvard and the critic for the studio came by. It was a desk crit, not a, not a jury. I think I had just turned 22. So I asked a question of this person. I said, you know, I, what's the reason for this or that? And I will never forget, uh, this, this person said to me, they said, Tiffany, reason is for people who are chicken shit and bored. And I, I thought to myself, okay, so how am I supposed to use that? I don't even know what that means. I still don't to this day. And I, I remember what I was wearing that day. This was like 13 years ago, 14 years ago. It was horrifying. I thought I have made an epic mistake. I must be in the wrong oh. place, in the wrong profession. Over time, I think about moments like that. And it has given me such clarity about how I want to and do interact with students when I teach or juries if I'm lucky enough to be invited. It's so much fun. You know, you should never speak to anybody like that. I don't care how important you are or if you think that the question is stupid, especially, or in any setting, period, but especially in a school setting. People are in school because they don't know. That's why you're there. So it's, it's given me a place to take great perspective from that moment and, and never behave that way mm. with anyone. And, and this notion about, you know, being a, about being a leader or being a role model and being kind and like leading, this sounds very LA and sort of woo-woo, but like leading with love instead of fear. And, you know, you don't need to be a tyrant. I knew how important and famous and talented that person was and is. I don't think anything more of that person for them having put me down. In fact, if they had worked to lift me up, it would have meant the world to me. And some of my other critics did. You know, this was just a sort of a bad day, bad example kind of thing. Yeah, but in a way that's made you really know what you wanted to be. Yeah. How do you communicate your ideas to communities or people without a design background? I try to use the simplest words I can to describe the thing that I'm trying to describe. And this, this is part of many years of trial and error. <laughs> I never understood when I was in college and when I was in graduate school, I never understood why it seemed like there, were, there was this whole lexicon of complicated words to describe things that aren't necessarily that complicated. And I felt sort of strange using them. Like, and, can you think of some? Oh, well, I can think of one, but I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> Is it a personal one? Well, no. So, so for example, the word like drosscape, this, this word that's to do with space that's left over between other things. I think Alan Berger is brilliant 
forgive me. Maybe don't put this on your podcast. <laughs> but but I can't, I love I that can't word. go to Roske. a client or to a community group and use a word like that. I can't use a word like that. I can't even say it with a straight face here. You actually snorted. I know. It's, it's a terrible... You have a beautiful accent, and I snort when I laugh. I love snorting laughs. laughs. <laughs> but I can't use that word. And I, as a person, am so I'm kind of turned off when I get the sense that someone is talking to me and trying to impress me with either words that they don't think I know or, or jargon that I won't understand because it's specific to their profession that is not landscape architecture and I don't get it, I don't know. And then I feel dumb or I'm irritated because I, f I wonder are they trying to make me feel less than. So I try not to use words like that. Um, especially when we're interacting with people that aren't landscape architects. It's a little bit different if you're talking to other design professionals and you can make references that are very specific. And, and um, you know, sometimes a funny word is actually the right word for the thing. As long as you explain it. Yeah, yeah. And over the course of many years of doing presentations for all different kinds of groups, I have come to realize, and I have a theory, that the comments, at least the comments that I get, are rarely focused on the nuts and bolts of the design that is on the wall or on the screen, you know, where this is or that thing or the shape of this or the color of that. And it's 95% comments that come from, how is this gonna affect my life? What's this mean for my neighborhood? Will my kids still have a place to play? Will this make more traffic? And they're legit. They're legitimate co comments and concerns. It's different if you're talking to a historical society or the Arts Commission or whatever where they have a specific topic. But the, the public meetings that we do, people are most concerned with what it's going to mean for their like quality of life. And does that ever make you think about restructuring the way you present or yeah. what you focus on in your presentation? Yes, it, it definitely makes me much more cognizant of the way that I frame a design decision. If I'm talking about you know, this grove of trees, I no longer say, we put a grove of trees here because it will complement the open space over there. What comes instead now is something like, this grove of trees is here because it gets really hot on this side of the park in the summertime and you know, we want you to have a, a place where your kids can run around and not get a sunburn. You know, not dumbing something down, but making it so that there's a context that, that each group understands. And that takes a lot of practice, instead of just throwing your message at someone and then, you know, crossing your arms and expecting them to get it right yeah. away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which we've seen a lot. Yeah. And those situations are always so already kind of charged because you show up to a meeting and you've got these designs for their thing, which has to be hard for that group of people to open themselves up to to begin with. You know, so the last thing you need to do is, is overcomplicate the message or make it sound like you are so separate from them. 
you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna win anyone over that way. You have to try to establish trust with everyone that you work with or that you work for. And if I can't understand what you're saying, like it's very hard for me to trust you. Have you ever had to really fight for an idea or a solution? Fight? Advocate? Advocate. <laughs> Maybe advocate more than fight. I'm just not a, I'm, I'm a lover, you know, I'm just not a fighter. <laughs> um, yes, I think that there have been a, a couple of incidents where we, I representing Olin, have had to make great efforts to bring a client or an architect team around. For example, we do a lot of landscapes over structure. A lot of our work is built on top of other buildings or um, garages, things like that. And there's a, a way that you do that that works. <laughs> And things that are tried and true and things that we at Olin have have learned and developed and, and quite frankly, I think perfected over 40 years of practice that don't always um, sound so good to uh, sometimes a building architect or a structural engineer or a client. Um, it generally all comes down to money or to kind of a, a roof profile or something that that they're looking to achieve. and And I think the hardest work that that we have is sitting in the room, staying calm, maintaining yourself as a, as a person who knows what they're talking about, who isn't here just to put some shrubs on your building, um, and, and to really work together to make sure that all of the requirements of that landscape are met. That is something we do over and over and over. Oh, we should make it a green roof. We should put plants on the roof. Let's put a tree on the roof. Okay, cool, that sounds great. Here's exactly how you need to do that. Oh, well, we can't do that. Well, then you can't have that on the roof. I don't know what to tell you. We were talking before about meeting rooms where you walk in and you're the only woman at the table. Yeah. How do you present yourself or how do you prepare for that situation? That's a good question. It's pretty frequent that I, or Myself and one or two of the women from my office, you know, the, the Olin team are the only women in a room full of consultants. And I have found that I think there are like two different types of folks on the other end of that. I'm still relatively young. I'm the landscape architect. This is no, by no means a blanket statement, but there are some consultants and collaborators that think that that isn't as important or not equal or something. So it's like two strikes. And you walk into a room like that, you sit at the table, you definitely have to sit at the table, you can't like take a seat in the corner, you know, it's like a lot of like physical stuff, you have to really make yourself as big as possible and a strong handshake and, but, but even with all of that, there are folks that assume the minute you walk in that you are less than or you know oh, who's this and then there are folks that assume that oh this is the person that's here representing Olin cool let's get to work the second situation is the best possible situation I find myself in the first situation more often than I would like to it doesn't bother me as much as it used to um, because generally once there's an opportunity to have a conversation and there's a question that can be answered or something, you know, you can sort of disarm a group of people like that by being pleasant and 
you know your work, nobody knows your work better than you do, and and go from there. But it's, you know, it's definitely difficult. I have been in situations where someone has like mistaken me for someone else or like like handed me their empty coffee cup and no. stuff like this you know it's like I'm not this oh no, no 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 you don't understand I'm actually here to be a part of this meeting it doesn't happen very often but it's little things that would never in a million years in a million years happen to any of the men in our office no matter how young they are or any man in any other office it's all gotten a lot better but contractors you know being out on the job site for construction observation of which I have more than a decade of experience in. You know, you show up and, and boy, that audience can be a tough one to convince. Do you have any uh, rules for yourself there? Or do you, I mean, I just kind of remember me going out on site, I would never wear a skirt. No, absolutely not. I mean, never. certainly to a construction site, no way. You know, you can't mess up. The, the stuff that you're wearing, you have to look like you know what you're doing. Even if you don't, because let's face it, a lot of people are faking it until they figure things out. I have found that a really, it's little things, really strong handshake, eye contact, you know, kind of joke around with, you know, kind of endear yourself to someone is really helpful. My accent would get really broad on a construction site. I'd be like, mate, you know. <laughs> See, that's good. I don't have anything like that. I should develop some cool, some cool accent. I love your accent, by the way. And it, again, this is changing. You know, I see more and more women um, in the construction field, lots and lots. But at least so far in my experience, the, the person that has been in charge on the construction site has been, uh, you know, an older man. And that's okay, but I just have to work harder on the front end to prove my place at the table. And you go from there. I haven't had a lot of trouble once you sort of establish yourself as worthy, which is unfortunate that any of us would have to do, that anyone would have to do. If you could look back and see yourself starting out at Olin, at what age did you say you were? Straight from 20, uni? Four? Yeah. And you picture where you are now. You've achieved a lot. What would you tell that young Tiffany? Well, I want to say something like I would tell that young Tiffany to relax a little bit or not worry about so many things or, or something like that. But I don't think I would have gotten where I am if I had been more relaxed or less um, focused or some other version. I, I do wish that I had been better able to understand that criticism isn't a bad thing and that it's not personal and that it's okay to ask for help. I, I, I worked for many years and still struggle with this to this day with kind of raising my hand and saying I really need some help. I've gotten way better at that. but. My MO for the whole first 10 years of my career was to, you know, the only way that I know something will get done is if I do it myself. And that's, that's no good because you shut yourself off and you can really do a number on your, your stress level. Yep. So I think that would be the thing. I would tell my younger self to be better about about speaking up and just asking for some help rather than thinking that you have to 
do everything or do everything perfectly the first try. Nobody expects the new person to do everything perfectly. And if you speak up, situations can get corrected and made better much faster than if you wait until you're desperate or something's out of control or, or you don't know what to do. That's really great advice. Yeah, I can take that on right now. Yes, <laughs> I will try to remember it later today too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Tiffany, thank you so much for being on Dig Beneath Design. I really appreciate your time and it's been fascinating talking to you. My pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast of Dig Beneath Design, here to help you in your daily design communication challenges. So I'd love to hear from you, what you think of the show, what you want to know. Tell me the design communicators that inspire you. Or maybe there's a great story from your own experience that can help your fellow designers. Find more interviews at sndc.com.au forward slash Dig Beneath Design. Dig Beneath Design is brought to you by SNDC. Original music by Adam Jones. Sound and photography by James Norton. Engineered and mastered at Sound Kitchen Sydney. I'm Sunea Norton. Join me next time for more good dirt on Dig Beneath Design. <laughs>